Hey fam, Patrick here. I am so excited to get to share this interview I did last week with my friend Tara Newell. I love that I get to call Tara a friend. Most of you know Tara as the badass woman who took down Dirty John Meehan when he attacked her in a parking garage in 2016. But if you follow her on social media or you listen to her podcast, The Survivor Squad, you also know Tara is a survivor and an advocate who's turned her experience into an opportunity to help other people. I find Tara to be one of the most inspiring people I have ever known. I'm also over the moon to tell you that Tara is going to be joining us at Obsessed Fest in Dallas this year, which is happening from October 20th to the 22nd. She'll be taking all your questions at a Q&A, and she's doing a meet and greet and a live taping of her podcast, The Survivor Squad, with Collier Landry, her co-host, and our dear friend from the documentary A Murder in Mansfield. You can get all the information and tickets for Obsessed Fest at ObsessedFest.com. All right, now to the interview. Hi, Tara Newell. Hi, how's it going? Oh my God, it's so good to see you. It's so wild. I was just listening back to our episode and we recorded this like long before I knew you and I think of you as like a dear friend now. So it's so weird to like watch the story again, listen to us talk about it without knowing you. Right? Well, and then I need to go back and listen to your episode too, but I was like, I want to talk to you first before I go back because I might... You know, just like whenever you listen to your story, there's going to be certain things that you get triggered by. And I wanted to be in a great space for it. Yes. Well, A, I appreciate that. And B, it's so wild over these six and a half years we've been making True Crime Obsessed. From time to time, people who are involved in these stories come into our lives, but not to the extent that you've like come into my life. And to like think of you as a friend and then to be watching back through this, and sort of like, oh my God, that's my friend that's going through this. It's a very different experience watching it. But I wanted to ask, so, you know, I think most people know the the story of John Meehan from the podcast. Like that's where we were all first, you know, introduced to this story, which came out in 2017, which feels like was forever ago, but was only what, like six years ago or so. And I'm just wondering, like, how did this story end up with the Los Angeles Times? How did they learn about the story? And how did you and your family decide to participate? I believe it was Matt Murphy. Well, I don't know if I'm 100% correct in it. I'm pretty sure I am. But I believe it was Matt Murphy who was getting together with Christopher Gothard, or he talked to Christopher Gothard, and he was telling him about our story. And then also Hannah from, um, it was a news article that she written about us, but not mentioning my name because she couldn't mention my name. And that also kind of put it on the radar on Christopher Gothard's radar. And he just was a writer for the LA Times. And so he worked on a lot of stories. So he thought, oh, this is an interesting story. And then he contacted my mom. And was it always meant to be a podcast or was he just working on like an article? It was supposed to be articles, just like a six series of articles. Like the one, there was a different case where there was this lady that put drugs in this person's car out of elementary school and this whole big story. And so he, it was supposed to be like that story. And 
then a couple of weeks beforehand, they were like, we're going to turn this into a podcast. And we didn't quite know what a podcast was. Oh, wow. And so they, they were doing it whether you wanted them to or not, or were they sort of asking your permission? They were just letting us know. Oh, wow. And we were thinking that a podcast is like a church sermon because that's the only place that we've like heard about podcasts is like uh-huh. at a church, you know? Wow. And when the story came out, I mean, I remember, you know, the Dirty John podcast was just instantly, I wrote down in my notes, like I felt like it was the biggest true crime podcast since Serial. And I was just wondering, like, how did that affect your life that all of a sudden your story is just out there so publicly? It was really interesting because we got a lot of attention for it and we were on a lot of shows. Like, it's kind of crazy because before, like, the whole scandal of Megyn Kelly, I was like, oh, we were on her show. And that's kind yeah. of interesting, you know. And, you know, there's a scandal with, like, Chris Como. I'm like, oh, I met him, yeah. too. Like, <laughs> like, oh, like, this is really weird. Just, like, meeting these characters. And even, like, Colleen Ballinger, whatever her name is. Like, yeah. I went to her house to, like, check up on her uh, cats and her daughter, <laughs> Corey's dog, who's, like, her sidekick. And I knew Corey. So it, it just is weird when you get thrown into this limelight. It's like everybody knows your story from celebs. Yeah. You know, these huge people. And then, like, how do I say this? Like, you are such an interesting person in the podcast because your your journey and just in the story in general like hearing the way that you sound and like you know you're such a kind like sweet you know I would describe you as like on the quieter side person who has this incredible story and who did this like incredible feat of self-preservation And did you consider yourself a private person before the world knew all of this about you? And then once the world knew all of this about you, there must just have been so much interest from everywhere, people just wanting to learn your story more and getting to know you better. I say I wasn't that private, but I wasn't like influencer status. I wanted my dog to be famous. (laughs) That's very you. (laughs) (laughs) I want my dog to have that, like, those 10,000 Instagram followers. Like, in fact, when Dateline came out, I'm like, please promote Cash's Instagram. That would be great. And they did. They were like, yeah, here's his Instagram. Please follow him. And so I'm like, okay, this is cool. And I was able to connect with dog people because I'm really like yes. a dog person. <laughs> That's so funny. Jillian is such a dog person. Have you guys ever talked about that? No, we talked about her going to Vegas. Yes. The Taylor Swift bracelets, but I called them raver bracelets. And we talked yes. about... You know, together, the peace, love, unity, that stuff. (laughs) Yep. It's funny. You just came to our live show in Los Angeles and somebody brought their full-size golden retriever and it was Jillian's favorite part of the whole night. Oh my gosh. I saw it, but it was a service dog. Were you able to get it? Well, I we were, but we asked. We knew like better than to just like jump in and start petting the dog, but they said it was okay. Okay. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) 
One of the things that is sort of attributed to you in the podcast that they don't really talk about in the documentary that we covered is tell me if they made more of this than it really was, but like your interest in like zombie stuff and how that like serves you in the end. Is that like a real thing or did they make a bigger deal of it than it was? Oh no, I'm like obsessed. <laughs> really? I like, I have to be careful like with certain things that I have because well I'm also like a nerd in a sense like I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan Uh I love Star Wars I'm probably more of a Lord of the Rings fan than like Star Wars because like I have a lot of the relics like I went to Hobbition and I bought like a (laughs) dollar Gandalf the gray hat so that's just yes (laughs) oh my god I love you so much I love you too, but I'm obsessed. I have a lot of, I have a collection of zombie DVDs, but here's the thing. I would watch The Walking Dead when it came out and then they would play like the second episode and then they would play The Talking Dead and then they would play the episode again. So I would watch all of those. And so like zombie culture, I guess if we're calling it that, like that really was something that was like you really cared about. Think like culture, but I, I really <laughs> maybe I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> like I don't have like a zombie fetish, but uh, <laughs> I'm not like going around trying to bite people's necks or you know right. arms or something. I literally, I just love the zombie apocalypse, like the apocalyptic drama. It's really interesting to think like, what would you do if the world ended? Yeah, would I be able to handle it? Uh, the answer is yes. No question about that. I like want to so, write a zombie book. <laughs> oh my God, you should do that. Have you ever thought about actually like doing that in earnest? Honestly, yes. Like chat GBT and hit being like, how would you yes. survive it? Oh my God, that's so wild. Um, To get into like the story a little bit, do you remember the first time you ever met John Meehan? Yes, I do. Take us into that moment. So I first met him when I was coming down from Vegas with my boyfriend at the time. And then we had our three dogs in the car and we were going to help my mom move. And I was really excited because I wasn't able to come down with all of my dogs because she was living in an apartment. So we came down, we saw him wrestling with a mattress and we knew it was him because he was by the Ambrosia truck. And my boyfriend at the time went to help him, but he had a cast on. So he, it was like Tweedledee, Tweedledum kind of vibes. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and John just like was very standoffish, but uh, my mom came down like a couple or like a minute later. And then she was like, Oh, this is John. And then he was like, hi. And then just, kind of went on because we were moving. So we didn't think anything of him being cold. We were just like, yeah. he's busy, you know? Yeah. How did your, your sort of like dislike and distrust from him, how did that sort of evolve over time? Were you living in Vegas at the time or were you living in California? I was living in Vegas with my boyfriend. We had a like a three-bedroom house and, you know, three dogs <laughs> and yeah. four cats. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> How often were you seeing your mom and John? Well, this was going to be the first time that I met him. And then after that, we met him, 
had like a weird experience, but nothing like to rub us completely the wrong way. And then we went back right before Thanksgiving, which was like a week later. And that's when we were hearing stuff about him driving my mom's cars. And he kind of seemed high at times or just like showed signs of being high. And then he ended up in the hospital for his arm hurting. So I'm like, he's a drug addict. Yeah. So, yeah. One of the things that's like the hardest to watch of this whole thing, like I've never experienced this and it's like a great fear of mine to have a loved one in a relationship with a person who's clearly lying and who is clearly trying to isolate them and clearly manipulating them and having it be so clear to me, but not being able to get through to the person. And it's very devastating emotionally to watch you and your sister go through that. Can you take us into that process? Like, what was it like? How do you handle a relationship with a person who you love so much, who is just not seeing the truth of what's in front of them? My sister and I had a little bit completely a different approaches with each other, uh, uh-huh. with her with it. My sister came at my mom aggressively And I don't think that way was the way to get my mom to get through to her. Yeah. That was just never going to happen when you're yelling at someone, you're telling someone this is happening, this guy is bad, but you're just like telling them abruptly. That's not going to work. Something I think my sister did do was find information on him. I think that was super helpful. I came at it a different approach and I think that people should come at it this way, but also have boundaries because it's terrible when someone Mm -hmm. you love is in a coercive control relationship, there's nothing you can really do to get through to that person. And so you kind of have to put boundaries up where like, you don't want to have space with this guy or you can have limited time with this guy And then you want to, something I did, I told my mom, oh, I would want to work it out with John because John and I had a falling out right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I want to work it out with him. Tell him I'm down, you know, let's communicate. And he never wanted to communicate. Did you have help? You know, in in terms like, did you have experts or people that knew how to handle these kinds of situations helping you? Because you seem endlessly patient and you seem endlessly like you're not going to give up on your mom. How how did you do that? So my brother-in-law and then my sister, Nicole, they were kind of getting bad vibes from him now too. And it took them a little bit longer than say my sister, Jacqueline and I, (laughs) Uh uh because we're very engulfed in my mom's life. And so my mom's calling us, we're calling her, we're talking three times a day, you know, and my sister also worked for her at times. I would work for my mom at times. I would help my mom out in Vegas with installs It was just, you couldn't get through to her. And so we hired a private investigator, my sister, Nicole, her husband, Scotty, and then my sister, Jacqueline, was involved in that mission. 
they got so much information on him. They found out that he was using different social security card numbers, uh, pretending to be, well, like he was pretending to be the same person and, yeah, but just like different numbers and different like licensing for like nursing stuff so that he could get drugs. And I think, and this was a speculation too, because we have nothing really confirmed from it. But when my sister also put a tracker on his car oh my, or my mom's car. I mean, that's car, like the most, ama- I, I was so obsessed with that. Like, it was funny because she would call me and be like, okay, text me when you sit down at uh, lunch with mom. Because the thing about John is we were only allowed to get lunch with my mom. Oh my God. He didn't want my mom seeing my sister. He told my mom, which like, was the frustration at times, but with a coercive controlled relationship. And when someone's saying this to you, you feel like you can't leave because your safety is also at effect. And if you leave too, he's actually going to do this. So he would threaten my mom that if my mom saw my sister, he would go kill my sister. Wow. Yes. And he was like, I would dump her at the bottom of the ocean, like gangster (gasps) style, like because he had a thing about the mafia and this wasn't proven. But, you know, there's so much speculation of this. I've also talked to a mobster recently. So I'm like, maybe this could have been. But he came from the Anastasia family. Oh, wow. Yes. So he had that mentality. I don't want to get too personal. And if you don't want to answer this, totally fine. But was this the first relationship like this that you'd experienced your mom be in? Because I'm crazy. And if somebody told my mom that like she couldn't see me or they would kill me, I don't know what I would do. You know, like, was this all coming out of the blue for you? So my mom, and here's the thing. I believe it's also from her growing up in a fundamentalist church. And her being taught to be submissive. She literally told me the other day, yeah, I went to school to be like, it was called submissive school. Yeah. And so, you know, she came into this and she had these relationships where she was submissive. And like the first one, like her husband left her when she was pregnant. The second one was with my dad. And I say they were just toxic for each other. And yeah, something. I think my dad was just in love with my mom and my mom wasn't in love with him, I say. Yeah. And my dad is like the most loyal person in that sense. Um, so at least I have the loyalty for that from that. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. But the third husband was a dentist and he would stalk my mom. He would have rules with uh. my mom for just stuff that we could do and you know how I love my animals so yes he told me I couldn't get any more animals and that I should think about getting rid of some animals Uh uh-huh that was hard and he really was kind of like this Jacqueline Hyde where he came into the picture he married my mom he was fine until they got married and then that's when all the rules were established. And I think she also fought with that because she's like, I'm not going to be submissive, even though I was taught that I'm, you know, this is all wrong. And so she divorced him. And then that guy actually took her for $3 million of alimony. <gasps> oh my God. 
Yes. And it's weird too, because one of my like best friends, she's friends with his stepdaughter, his like current stepdaughter and his current stepdaughter just thinks he's the most amazing man. And it shows you like when women are submissive, there is no problems. But when women start to fight being submissive and start to fight those rules, that's when things get ugly. Yep. It's so interesting because I think speaking frankly, there are moments in understanding the story that it's hard to have grace for your mom because just as a spectator, because it's like when you hear people threatening the kids and you hear people being so blatantly abusive, but you're so right. It's terribly sad to hear that your mom knew that she was in danger because that doesn't always come through in the storytelling, which is not your mother's fault at all. It's the way that the story is being presented, that your mom is calculating how to keep everybody safe, that that's a major part of the calculation. How do you handle it when people don't have grace for your mom in this story? Well, I'm like, if you come at me on Facebook and you like accept my friend request, I'm like, no, that's not the place, you know? Uh Uh-huh. But if you ask me the question gracefully, like, hey, you know, I am curious about this. And I've answered this a lot on TikTok as well. So there's lots of videos there to check out. But here's the thing. It's like an addiction. These relationships are like addiction. And when you're trauma bonded and you're using the seven stages of trauma bonding, you're doing the love bombing, you're getting the trust, dependency, then you start to uh, like, these may be also out of order now, but like the isolation, um, you know, starting to be mean and hypercriticize that person. And then you're into this, the last step is the addictive cycle is because your brain is actually trained to stay into these situations. Your brain is not trained to leave. And your brain is taught that if you leave, that's a danger. Because this person has taught you to stay in this relationship. And it's kind of like the sense of when a child's kidnapped. Yep. Why doesn't that child run away sometimes? Because they're taught if they run away, they're going to be shot. They're going to be killed. And it's like John was so dangerous. My mom knew if she left, he was going to come after us. He was going to come after her. Which is what happened. Yeah. And she didn't think it was me that he was going to come after. She thought it was my sister because she hated my sister. Why do you think he came after you instead of Jacqueline? I think also, I I think he wanted all three of us, but I think he saw me as an easy target. Boy, did he fuck around and find out. Jesus. (laughs) Like, I'm sweet. I'm shy. I'm soft-spoken at times, you know? And I'm the one that's like, oh, I want to work things out. I'm also the youngest child. So maybe there was also that favoritism with that with my mom. I'm not going to lie. (laughs) Yep, 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 totally. You know, the way that this documentary ends is kind of like with you in the hospital after suffering the trauma of what you went through with John in the parking garage. My question was like, how did you pick yourself up after that and go on with your life to be this incredibly, 
you know, self-aware person that I'm talking to now, like what was like the next day like and how did you then keep putting one foot in front of the other to not completely lose yourself? Well, I could see that everyone around me was losing their shit. Uh huh. <laughs> and I was still in a shade of shock then when I first like got out of everything, but I first went into my appeasement mode. And so I wanted to make sure everyone else was okay and that everybody else wasn't worried about me. And so literally like my ex flew in from, I forget where he was working, but he flew in and he was working at bar rescue and he had to like get time off. And, you know, when you work production, you can't really ask for time off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, so he was able to actually fly out and he honestly created a lot of awareness in my healing journey because that relationship ended because of really both of us. But I had a a lot of trauma to even work through then because I, well, I now know this, that I was like sexually molested as a child and stuff because those memories kind of pop up later. And so you have to really work on everything and get to the root cause of the problem. And I knew that if I wanted to be in a relationship that I had to heal. And now I feel like Well, like I used to feel this way, like maybe a year ago because I'm in a relationship now, but there's that contentment. If you don't have a relationship, like you're okay. Yeah. I had to get to the place where I accepted that I had to be okay for myself and not another person or to gain another person's approval. And that relationship failed. We've tried, you know, we used to try many times to like, get back together and stuff, but there's too much trauma and we were not right for each other. And, you know, it's like funny when you're like with the right person, you're like, no. Yep. 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 (laughs) Yeah. That was the healing journey was that. Yeah. And I was going to say like, you sound so self-aware, you know, for people who might be in a place where you were, what sort of resources are out there for them? Like what resources did you use? So I say you have to kind of find the right therapist or coach and get someone that's trauma-informed because I've been to a lot of therapists that said the wrong thing to me. And you also want to make sure they're compatible with you because I do a lot of coaching too. And someone's daughter came to me recently and this person's daughter hated me. No, you, you're the most likable person in the world. Well, thank you. But it's attached to her trauma with her mom. Yeah. So that's another thing. You have to find a therapist that you actually like and you bond with. And I get along with a lot of people, but I'm not going to get along with someone that, you know, you're having issues with your mom, you know? Yeah. And so really find the right person, go through everything like, okay, is this person triggering me in any way? Does this person remind me of someone that's triggered me in any way? You know, is a male therapist going to be helpful? Is a male therapist not going to be helpful? You kind of have to go through all the options and you have to interview them at time. I mean, 
you can't really like ask them like, oh, where do you live? Where's your, like how many children you have? You can't ask them that questions, but you can ask them like, where do you go to school? What type of therapy do you like to practice? You know, how's your experience with trauma patients? You can ask them questions like that. How much do you carry this story with you day to day? Is it something you think about every day or is it just a, a part of your life that you're able to compartmentalize? It's every day. Yeah. It's not like affecting my body in certain ways. I mean, at times it does, like I have to release my shoulder, you know, untighten my jaw, um, just like get in tune with my body. But here's the thing, like the anniversary is actually this Sunday. Oh my God. So I'm feeling it a lot now. And I'm being aware that I'm going to be triggered by things a little bit more lately. And so I'm trying to allow grace where I knew I could do this interview with you because you're a safe person to me. You know, you always care about my well-being and we, you know, we shoot the shit. We like talks, you know, great times. Um, so you're comfortable. And so I know I could do this interview, but I might have not been able to do anyone else's interview this week. Yep. Yeah. You are so self-aware. It is so inspiring to see that, like, you can survive a trauma like that and be okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. I want to talk about Survivor Squad, your podcast with Collier Landry. So I, you guys made me aware of it long before you even put it out. You trusted me to give you some advice and to listen to some episodes. And it is so good. I mean, I I love your podcast. The two of you together are great. Your interviews are so... They're, they're, you're talking to survivors, people who have been through really hard things, and you get a lot of like insight, but it's also comfortable and enjoyable and sometimes funny. And it, you you all just like strike such an authentic balance. How did the podcast come to be and why did you want to do it? Well, I met Collier on his podcast and it was Uh like his podcast partner hooked us up. And so I like went on his podcast and I was like, who the fuck is he? Uh huh. Uh huh. (laughs) So I was like answering the questions. I was like, I just want to connect with him, like his story, how he made his documentary his own. He took his own narrative. Like, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. I'm amazed. And then he interviewed my mom. And then I went and I Googled him. And then I texted Alexis Linkletter. I was like, how do you know him? She's like, this Uh is my mom's friend. Oh, my God. What a small world. Right. And then I texted Lenora Claire, my other friend. And Lenora was like, I honestly just follow him. I think he's great, though. And then I was like, "Okay," so I invited him to the true crime meetup. Then we talked later on. We just talked the whole time. Like we were in the corner just connecting with our stories. And then literally he came down because he had to get a camera part at Canon or whatever. And it's down by me. And he got lunch with me. And we just talked about doing a podcast. And I was like, I was honestly thinking the same. (laughs) Wow. You know, part of that, what you all have talked about doing Survivor Squad and being survivors is being a part of this, being a part of a club of people that have, you know, this extraordinary thing in common. How is it to connect with them how is it different than it is to talk to like a me? 
I think it's different because if you are aware of my story and you have a trauma and you come on the show, you already feel like, oh, like these people I can relate to in a different sense. Like I can trust this person more so with my trauma or at least I like see it even with my social media and stuff. Like the power of vulnerability. When you're vulnerable, it allows someone else to be vulnerable and it makes them not feel alone. So they're coming on the show and they're not feeling alone. And we're not feeling alone either because there isn't too many people that you come across day to day. I mean, I may come across them day to day because of, what I do, uh huh. You don't meet too many people that are like, "Oh, my! I took down Dirty John in self defense and killed my attacker." And so it's like, "Wait, what? I went through that too, you know?" Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about? Because I believe so strongly in this, and when, when we, you know, on True Crime Obsessed, we cover true crime documentaries, and I will sometimes reach out to people, like just on Instagram, if I can find them that really inspire me, and just say thank you for sharing your story. It's so valuable. Can you talk a little bit about the value of sharing your story and why you do it and why it's important? I share my story because I know that it will help someone else, and I know that it helps someone else in the fact that. When there came a point when I was like, I think it's going to help someone else, but I don't know. And then I was like, I don't want to talk anymore. People are being so mean to me. And then you get that one message. And this one person said, thank you so much for sharing your story. Because of you, I was able to survive and get out of my attack the same way you did. Yeah. And I was like, I got to keep sharing. And that's why I do. And then it's really crazy. And now that I have the podcast and are interviewing other survivors, I'm like, oh my gosh, your podcast started because of Dirty John? Your podcast yeah. started because of Dirty John? Wait, what? I know. That's so crazy. What are some of the episodes of your podcast that you've really connected to the most? There is so many. And I want to say each and every guest is so just amazing. Uh, the last one we interviewed is actually coming out Thursday is Sarah Klein. She's a Larry Nassar survivor. Oh, wow. And she actually talked about how she felt about the news of him being stabbed and everything. And it's crazy, too, because I didn't ask her that question. She just felt like she could share. And I'm so happy she did and shared that with us. But the thing is, is that abusers are so complex. And I love having that conversation with her because she was friends with him for like 20 years or something like that. And you have empathy for your abuser at times. And it's not that easy to press charges and to go after them and flick that switch that they're bad. And so yeah. I, I, that conversation stood out to me because it was like the last one. But there's been so many where... I honestly think of Eric Carter Landon too, because his baby brother was murdered by his, uh, his mom's boyfriend. And that is just the worst thing that anyone can ever do in my eyes. Like you could come after me a hundred times, but if you kill a kid, like, man, I'm going to come after you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so 
you know, honored to have you two at Obsessed Fest. I think, you know, so many people, one of the reasons why I love Obsessed Fest so much is because our listeners get exposed to new people, but also people they know like you who have such valuable things to to share. Because I think whether you've suffered a major trauma like taking down Dirty John or not, I think there's so much to be learned, you know, from each other regardless, but also like to these lessons, you know, that come out of these stories that we all like immerse ourselves in are just so valuable. And we're also grateful when people like you are willing to share. And I just love you so much. I love you too. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. And I can't wait to see you at Obsessed Fest. So Survivor Squad is the podcast. People can check it out right now wherever they get their podcasts. They can see you and Collier at Obsessed Fest. You guys are going to do a live taping and a Q&A and a meet and greet. And you're going to be around all weekend. I'm making you guys sit at my table at the drag brunch because I just have to be with you for that. <laughs> I have so many fun outfits packed. Well, like yes. not packed. I have a country closet. And oh my God. So- <laughs> I have like Dolly Parton like country outfits. <laughs> yeah, that is perfect. Uh, tell the people where they can find you on all the socials. Okay, you guys can find me all socials Tara Newell, T E R R A N E W E L L. The only place that I'm different is Twitter. It's Tara underscore Newell. So yeah, check me out there. Uh, all right, I love you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, love you too. Bye. Bye, Tara. Hey fam, thanks so much for checking out my interview with Tara Newell. Isn't she incredible? Come hang out with her and us at Obsessed Fest in Dallas from October 20th to the 22nd. Also, please go check out Tara's podcast. It's called The Survivor Squad. She makes it with our friend Collier Landry, who was the subject of the documentary A Murder in Mansfield that we did a couple weeks back. You can find The Survivor Squad wherever you're listening right now. I've been a fan from the beginning. I'm obsessed with all of their episodes. I loved their interview with Amanda Knox. It's gonna knock your socks off. All right, fam. Loving you. Thanks for listening. Bye.